On this special episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to Mark Anthony Kay and Joe Bailey of The Dark Monarch. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we welcome Mark Anthony Kay and Joe Bailey from The Dark Monarchy. Gentlemen, welcome to uh, you know one of these fun uh, for the U- the North America, the Sunday morning edition of Progressive Palaver, <laughs> and uh, we are very very happy today to be joined by a well-known friend of the Palaver, Mark Anthony K of Project Gemini, the Yes Music podcast, and uh, Kiss FAQ, and as in his his uh, collaborator now. Uh, Joe Bailey, who is a multi-instrumentalist from the UK, very prolific, has had, uh, if I understand correctly, five albums in the last five years, Joe? <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's correct. That, that's amazing. <laughs> and um, so these two gentlemen have, have now um, collaborated, combined their forces to create the Dark Monarchy. And so we're very excited to talk about that today. Thank you both for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, yeah, this is, this is cool. So, so Mark, you had kind of teased this the last time we spoke to you. You had mentioned that, that you and Joe had, had had something sort of, uh, simmering on the stove, as it were. And this is what came out. I, you know, I'm, I'm very excited by this. And I'm, thank you very much for providing us the track sort of ahead of, of the release, which, uh, my understanding is scheduled for June 12th. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so we do want to thank you for providing that. I've had a, just a spectacular time, you know, listening to these tracks. I think uh, Paul and Ken have as well. So, you know, maybe you can start us off by telling us, you know, how you and Joe decided to to do this full on collaboration as opposed to just sort of helping each other out here and there. Well, um, basically, what ended up happening was uh, me and Joe are frequent listeners of a podcast called Check It Out. From a good friend of ours whose name is Pete O'Neill, they under the name of DJ Peter Prague, as he likes to be known as, and uh, he has a great name. show. Yeah, he has a great show on Fridays where he plays a lot of progressive music, and one of the things he likes to do is uh, is album of the week feature. And uh, the one week I was listening, and they were featuring a gentleman named Joe Bailey in his latest album at that time. Uh, I believe it was a uh, what was that one, Joe? At that time, yeah, it was a price to pay. Price to think, pay, that's it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I really dug it. And one of the great things about his show was that he has a live chat room going on while he's on there. And of course, he asks the musician who's featured to come on into the chat room to answer questions and so on from the people that are in there. And believe it or not, it's a pretty lively chat room. There's a lot of people in there. And uh, I was in there and I started chatting with him, telling him how much I loved the stuff. And then we had a little secret sidebar off of the regular chat room and I started asking him, I go, hey, uh, you wouldn't be interested by any chance in maybe uh, 
providing some vocals on on a record I'm doing, and much to my surprise, he was like, "Yeah, he was aware of Project Gemini and said, yeah, he would like to do it." I mean, it, that's what I remember, right, Joe? Yeah, that's, right. that's exactly how it was. Yeah, it was a, you. Re, you asked me to do backing vocals originally, and then we we sort of got carried away, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it went from backing vocals to how about doing some lead vocals, and then how about how about doing more lead vocals on a couple of more songs, and then after that, I, I just you know I just couldn't help but saying you know what this is just too good because I mean it it was one of those situations where I sent him the music, he sent me something back, and you know usually it you you go back and forth once or twice before you get it correct, but it never happened this way. It was just he sent it back to me. I was like, this is it. This is perfect. Next song, he did wow. the same thing. Perfect. The, all three times that I asked him to do something, it came back fantastic. There was no need to redo anything on it. So I was like, this is this has to happen in more of a grander scheme. So I decided to ask him if he was interested in doing a full album. And he was very excited, as, as I was, to go forward and do it. Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when you guys set about to to make the album, so I mean, up up to this point, you know, Mark, you you had your tracks, and you had asked Joe to uh, provide some vocals, and I guess Joe, you had a track that Mark had provided a solo for you, so you'd kind of like, you know, each collaborated on that level. But when you talk about the the Dark Monarchy, then were how how did that collaboration go? Were you writing together? Would one of you? provide a whole song and the other one sort of augmented or did you come with a part and the other one would sort of put it together uh, or, or was it a mixture of all of that? How did that happen? It was, it was very well planned out. Um, wasn't it? It was sort of like we had like pages and pages of messages beforehand, it, you know, explaining to each other how we were going to go about this. And then we eventually decided on starting like four, tr- four tracks each and then maybe do like three, three and a half minutes or so of music and then emailing it to the other person, then that person then completing and then arranging the track. And then, then, then we'd send it back again, back to each other and then add more parts. And then it was just back and forth until the song was finished. So the, so they would, they would start on one side, they would cross be worked on the other side and then cross back like that sort of arrangement. That's cool. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Yeah. 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 It was, it was great. What I loved about it was that for example, uh, one of the things I always noticed about my kind of songwriting, how I do, is that I usually come up with maybe one or two really strong parts, and then sometimes I find that I'm not battling, but sometimes I find that my next couple parts maybe aren't as strong. So usually I would put a song aside and come back to it to the next day. So what, what we did this time is like I would write two to three minutes worth of music and send it to Joe, and then he would just complete the rest of it and like he said, arrange it, right? And what, what was so great about it is that he would sometimes take the song in a completely different direction than I thought it would go from that part. And it ended up being such a great left turn or right turn or whatever U-turn or however you want to look at it. <laughs> and it, it just ended up being so fantastic. And I mean, I, I really liked some of the stuff that he would send me right away. And you know what I mean? Like when, when you're a musician and you get something sent to you that you're excited about, you, you don't even want to, you know, <clears throat> put it aside. Excuse me. You don't even want to put it aside. You just want to go right away to the studio and start working on it. Right. So we had, I had quite a few days like that where Joe would send me something. I'd be like, holy crap, I got to get over here and start working on this like, right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was exactly the same as well. I'd, I'd receive, I'd normally be at work and I'd receive it in my emails and I'd be like listening to it in, 
in, in the back area where nobody could see me and I'd be like, oh my God, I can't wait to get home and work on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, and I think that enthusiasm is reflected in the music. It, it does seem if, if vibrance, the right word I'm, I'm looking for, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, and, and one of the things that I've always responded to, and I, and this is just sort of my own thing. Like I, I like the the mixture and, and blending of vocals too, and so having that sort of texture is, you know, it's just, it, you know, it, it's one of the things that that I personally really really like. So I I just thought that was cool. Uh, Ken or Paul, you guys can jump in here. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm curious about what you guys think. You know, you just touched upon it, but what is it about the way that you guys, uh, you know, where you're coming from, I guess, at this time to to sort of make this. Not just you know Project Gemini meets Joe Bailey, but it's it's quite unique to itself, I think. And and I'm curious about your your thoughts on um, what it is about each of you that is somehow elevating this to something um, different than than um, you know just one plus one equals two. Well, I'll, I guess I can start um, when. I started uh, wrapping my head around working with Joe. The one thing that got me immediately excited was I knew that I was going to be introduced to stuff that I didn't do in Project Gemini. And with that in mind already, that opens a whole bunch of different doors and uh, you know ways to think within the music. Because he is, and I can't stress this enough, an absolutely brilliant like orchestrator of stuff like his kind of like symphonic stuff that he does. It, it always just makes me like, you know, pick up my jaw off the floor. Sometimes I'm like, wow, this stuff is like really good. And sometimes I would sit here listening to him and just soloing them and listening to him just saying, wow, this is so good. Like the way he would organize the stuff and he wouldn't, you know, I find that with, within the genre that we're in, you know, people like to use violins and cellos and that seems pretty standard. But when I started hearing, brass instruments and stuff like that and other kinds of things like you know xylophone and bells and stuff like that like wow this guy is like really being daring and i love that you know what i mean like because usually when you would tell a musician okay yeah we're gonna put some trumpets and maybe some french horn they'd be like what what are you talking about dude that's not cool <laughs> french horn what are we you know like so i was very excited about that i was like this is great i i, I really like that about it and the fact that he was such a fantastic singer I knew that that was going to have to push my singing a bit more too, because I, I wanted to be at least in the same ballpark with him, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think, I think this dark Monica album is probably your best vocal work yet. So mm. you, you definitely did that. Thank <laughs> Agreed. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, also I, the, the good thing about this uh, project is is that the two of us really um enjoy composing i think i think well um personally it's my favorite part of music is the actual writing process of things and i think you know the, the two of us write uh, enjoy writing so much that it's it's not it's never a chore so when we're finishing yeah. each other's songs off it, it you know it doesn't sound like it was forced or anything it you know it's, it just came so easily i think that's, yeah. that's why it works so well yeah, and another thing that I thought was great too, like I think if I thought sometimes that we were like almost like brains connected at some point, almost like a you know Vulcan mind meld, like you know, <laughs> you know, your mind to my mind, you know, it was like one of those situations where we would get a song, it would be done, and then when I was listening to it, I'd go, this song only needs one thing, just a little segment at the end. I'd quickly message Joe on the phone, and go Joe, 
This is beautiful. I love it. But do you think you could put something at the end of this? Uh, I'm not sure what, but just something. And I would, and he'd go, okay, give me a few minutes. And then maybe like an hour or so later, he'd send me something back and I'd be like, this is great. Like that's like, if you listen to some of the endings of these songs, some of those were done like, you know, after I'd heard the song and say, could you just put something at the end? And I'd be like, that's it. That's perfect. You don't have to even do anything else. Just that's it. And this is what, that's what I loved about it. It's like, there was never any kind of pulling of teeth and saying, nah, you know, I, I'm kind of hearing this or that. And you know what I mean? Like we never had that. And I think that, the main thing with that that I learned from this is that because we respected each other so much as musicians and writers, that we never, ever had that sort of doubt. Whatever we gave each other, we just went with it. You know what I mean? We're like, I trust him enough that he knows what he's doing to finish it, and I'm going to just go that way. Even if, I, even, if it was, even if it isn't a way I would consider doing it, I'm going to go with it. Mark and Joe, Ken here. Uh, why don't you talk about the name The Dark Monarchy and also... Riffical Records, Riffical to me, sounds like a ridiculously difficult riff condensed into as little characters as possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll answer the Riffical Records thing, and then we'll let Joe and I talk about the name. Uh, Riffical Records, that was a name that I came up with my record label. It's my record label name. Uh, as far back, actually, when was that? 1998. I started that uh, wow. label. So it's quite a ways ago. Um, I was thinking of every possible name possible at that time to think of what to do for a record label name. And the funny thing is, is you can tell that I was very young when I came up with this because the way I came up with the name was I was watching something about uh, backmasking and the Judas Priest court case and stuff like that. And then I thought to myself, what would be a good name backwards? And I realized, you know, Lucifer is really cool. What if I put that backwards? <laughs> and Riffical <laughs> Records was born. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I remember the backmasking phenomenon back then when it first happened. So, sure, yeah. Why not? Mark, some, of us, some of us on the Palaver might say that you're still very young. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, as for the name, uh, you want to you want to take a little bit of that, Joe? Yeah. Um, so it was we were trying to we were just coming up with um, random names. I think mm -hmm. I think orig originally we had we knew that the word dark was going to be in there, and then there was, a, there was a few names that we came up with, and then Mark came up with the the link between the two of us. You know, me being from the UK and him being from Canada, there's like a, a sort of link to the royal family, and then. It, we suggested the Dark Monarchs, and then I, I said maybe the Dark Monarchy, and then that was it. We were like, yes, that will be the name of the band, and it just stuck. It yeah, just, because, I mean, uh, one of the things that's funny, I'm sorry to jump over you there. Uh, it's all right. It was that because of one of the things here in Canada, what they, which, which has always been kind of up for debate, you know, us Canadians, we never really argue, we just debate. We're very calm about things here. So the, the Queen has come up constantly here, where it's like, really, should we still have the Queen on our money and this and that? And, you know, our Prime Minister always say, no, no, listen, we're going to keep it because we still have a very strong connection to the Royal Family and to the British Empire. So I thought to myself, you know what? I love England, too. All my favorite things come from there and from the UK. I mean, Doctor Who, you know, uh, all the music I listen to, Yes, you know, Genesis, all these bands. So I was thinking, you know what? 
I'm not going to be ashamed of my love of the UK. So let's let's make that connection. And you know, Joe being a full fledged red blooded UK person, you know, it only made sense to make that, you know, name to it. I just love that it's the dark monarchy. I can't say monarchy very well. Sorry. <laughs> I love that it's the dark dark monarchy. And there's two of you. I, I that that uh, that gets me excited for some reason. <laughs> and um, I love that you mentioned Vulcan mind melt because I actually wrote in my notes. I'm like, hmm, the dark monarchy. There's two of them. It almost makes it like. One is the Sith Lord and one is the Apprentice. I, I can't figure out who is who at which time. Well, I mean, I think uh, this, this is one of those situations where we're probably both equal and not ranking. I don't think one's more. Any, none of us are really an apprentice to the other. I mean, Joe definitely has skills that I do not have. And I might have a few things that, you know, maybe Joe wasn't aware of that maybe he picked up on for me. I think that's one thing that I really, really enjoyed about this collaboration is the things that we've learned off of each other. I think that's the main thing that's really benefited us both greatly, I think. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. Have you guys met in person yet? No. No, no. <laughs> we, yet. We've, only, we've only been connected via Skype and the internet, which is which is good. I mean, you know, I think about that a lot. You know, that, that this kind of a band would have never been possible years, years back because you know it's just, they just never had the means to do it. I mean, even if there was some way that we would have connected by telephone, you still would never have been able to, you know, make music together like this. That's amazing. So you have this <laughs> this absolutely wonderful collaboration from two guys who have never actually physically been in the same room together. That is. The joys of the 21st century, everyone, right, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you you did engage a lot in the buildup, um, Mark. You're you're adept at starting the marketing early, and and you had your typical YouTube campaign with Joe. So talk about the releases you did leading up to this, the photo shoot, the lyric video. Give us an idea of how that progressed for you. Um. Well, I think one of the things I thought was important was. You know, I, I wanted to approach this like something from scratch, which it obviously is. This is a new band. This is a new thing. I can't expect people that were in my Project Gemini association to just all jump over onto this. There were some or quite a bit that did come over and some that maybe didn't yet, maybe because they didn't. it's not their thing or it's just they haven't been aware of it yet. But I wanted to approach this like a fresh, brand new thing from scratch. And I think Joe did as well. And um, one of the things I learned early from my days of having other bands or even Project Gemini is that, you know, it's important to keep people connected and interested. I mean, it's one thing to just come online and say, we have a new band and that's great. And don't hear nothing for six months after that until something gets released. I've always hated about some, hated that about bands that just drop something for one month, like, you know, here and there, disappear off, you know, the internet for months at a time and say, pick up our new album that's out tomorrow. It's like, what, what, whoa, what, what happened? Like, where, where's all the buildup? There's nothing happened, you know? So this way I thought this would be much smarter. And having a, you know, separate online presence for the Dark Monarchy, I think was very good to do. And I mean... One of the things that we've done on here that I ha wasn't able to do as much with the project, with, a, with Project Gemini, is stuff like the photo shoot thing, where we had Joe and his friend go out with Joe's sister and, you know, take those photos and stuff. I mean, there, those that was some great stuff. I really enjoyed watching that. 
and even having our little EPK thing that we did together, I think that that was really good too to kind of answer some early questions about what was going on, give the people some early background about us. And then the one thing that I can't stress enough that I thought that we did very well, and I, I got to give credit to Mr. Bailey for this, is those videos. The lyric videos were so well done. I really enjoyed them when we got them done. And, uh, you know, he has a really good knack for making these lyric videos. And, you know, there some of them are getting to, you know, 200 views and more, which is, which is good. I mean, this is a new band starting from scratch, and I didn't expect to have that many views of it. So it's a good sign that people are starting to pick up on it. And I got to say, Joe, again, you, you did a great job with those two songs. And uh, I'm looking forward to what we'll get to do later on again with some more video stuff. Well, Joe, regarding that that artwork and the photo shoot, um, my mind harkened back to Led Zeppelin IV or the, the, the Black Sabbath debut, having a mysterious person on the cover. So what was, <laughs> what was the inspiration for the, the dark um, monarchy uh, hooded female in the distance kind of idea? When I spoke to Steve about the artwork originally, I, I gave him a general theme of what my lyrics were, which is like kind of apocalyptic sort of kind of dark um negative <laughs> almost <laughs> um and he said he he knew what he wanted to do based on that sort of generalization um he he wanted a model it was nice that my sister agreed to do it as well because it's you know it's kind of more personal that way as well but he wanted because me and mark like we said have never met each other and we've you know there was no way we were going to get a photo shoot together. So he said, it'd be nice to have one person represent the two of you. And so that's why he, he picked to have a model. And he, he said, we need to get a long black cloak. And that was his vision. So uh, we ordered one of them and um, yeah, and we went out and he, you know, he just took the photos and, and then what he sent after that was just amazing. Like he always, his artwork always amazes me because he, he's, you know, he's done work on my albums as well. So, and he's just he's just getting better and better at it. So uh, I'm made up with it. It was a great fun experience to get all those photos done as well. It's a good laugh. <laughs> How did it feel to sneak out during quarantine? Well, it we we weren't in lockdown at that point. It was it was just before all that went went out. So um, <laughs> we we kind of just got got in there in the nick of time. So yeah, it was fun. <laughs> That's fantastic. What's what section of the UK are in? It seemed uh, pretty marshy and boggy where you were. <laughs> yeah, it's in the northwest. So that marshy area was sort of. Um, it was in, I think it was Parkgate. This place called Parkgate. Was it Parkgate? Can't even remember the places we went to now. <laughs> you it, toured it's in the northwest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, nice work there. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it is always nice when you have something like this and, you know, much like the music, it all kind of comes together in sort of a, what feels to be a very unified way with, with not only the music, but the, the band title as well as the artwork. Um, it really does sort of give people a clue of, of what they're getting in for it. It's a, it's a really, really great um, combination there. So, so yeah, well done. Will we be talking track by track? I wouldn't mind kind of doing it. Is that, is that a good way to go here? I don't mind. Absolutely. That sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that your, 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 your lead-off track um, is the, probably the most Project Gemini, so maybe it's a good segue. Uh, it's called Joyride. 
And uh, I, I just felt that there were some possible Project Gemini influences above and the other songs. But, you know, what, tell us how, how that Joyride came together. Um, well, I think Joyride was, uh, I'm trying to remember now offhand, this was Joe's idea, I believe, the, the introduction to this song, right? No, no, it was yours. Oh, it was mine, wasn't it? <laughs> it was yours, yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, it's, it's interesting because some of the songs, uh, they, they're obvious to me which ones I've done, and other times they're not so obvious now listening back to it because the more we started working on songs together, I think our influences started rubbing off on each other. But in any case, this song... Um, was probably one of the earlier ones that we did work on, I think. Not the earliest, but one of the earlier ones. And, uh, you know, when you're working on stuff together and it's early in the project, then maybe some of that style that I had leaked over from Project Gemini, maybe a little bit into certain parts, I think, right? This is why I think it was so great having Joe involved in this because he he literally made me start thinking out of my comfort zone and out of my box of what I usually think of when I want to write riffs and stuff like that. And, uh, this, this song is, uh, was immediately like altered out of that project. Gemini thing. As soon as he started adding his sequencer parts, like those, all these little lines that he would put on top. I mean that when I heard that right, I was like, "Wow, that's fantastic!" And I would have never have thought of that to put in that part. So that immediately was one of those things that got me excited about it, right? So, uh, and the thing about that was when we first started talking about doing songs together, I went to Joe and said, "Listen, I have no problem with giving you the lead vocals on this record if you want to do them." And he was, and he right away said, "No, no, 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 no." we got to get you in there and, and sing as well. And I thought that was great, you know, because, you know, he could have easily said, you know, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Because, I mean, the one thing that Joe doesn't have is LSD, which is lead singer disease. You know what I mean? He doesn't have that, <laughs> <laughs> that thing where he's like, I have to do it all and, you know, don't touch my lyrics and blah, 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 blah. He was very, you know, very much a collaborator in every sense of the word. So when he said, yeah, go ahead, because I told him I had an idea about gun violence because especially here in canada believe it or not we had something here called the summer of the gun because every day we had a, a death in toronto that was based on a gun which is unheard of here in canada I and mean, we were pretty you know non-gun here right so uh, i thought it was something interesting to write about and he, i went, went with it wrote three verses and joe filled in the rest and did a great job with it and that's one of the things that re immediately Gave me a lot of confidence to, you know, put my voice on it more and to write a little bit of stuff because, you know, he was embracing it. And I, that's one of the things that I, I liked about that. I like the back and forth between the two. Um, uh, th there's a new metal that I actually like. And the world of, of metal can be scary to me sometimes because I like the the core beginnings of it in the 70s and the 80s. And some of where metal goes can be a bit comical or off or overdone to me or sometimes just poorly produced but 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 joe i think you brought in a more modern approach that I actually really dug yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. mark did all the verses and then i come in with the basically i sang all the bits that i wrote the lyrics for and mark sang the bits that he wrote yeah. lyrics for yeah <clears throat> i wanted it to be aggressive that song because that intro riff is quite aggressive quite powerful so i thought this it needs to be 
an aggressive sounding song and I need to put like a sort of a bit of a bit of grit on my vocals. So I, I think I think I pulled it off. Perfect. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what I like what I like about the the vocal um, variation between the two of you, and it's funny because because Mark, I think I texted you this. Like mm. for whatever reason, when I when I heard that this creation was happening and this collaboration, um, I, and I guess partly because I knew the story that Mark had reached out to you, Joe, for vocals. Like my assumption going in when I was ready to listen was okay. This is this is going to be Joe singing. And so the first track, the first voice I hear is Mark. And I was like, wait a second, this is great. <laughs> and, um, but the, the contrast between, and, and uh, you know, it doesn't sound like it, it you, you, there's always the potential for it to sound really contrived. Like one guy singing the verses, one guy singing the chorus, but the way you guys pull it off, there's a, there's a, always a change, not just, you know, music in the musicality in the feel of the whole uh, presentation of the, of the song, that the switch of vocals feels perfect, feels just right. And um, it's uh, it, specifically, I jotted down on Joyride and also Bed of Posers, where just I think you guys have just really hit that uh, 100%. I mean, it happens throughout, um, but it, that shift is not contrived at all. It sounds really, really good. Yeah, I think the two voices complement each other quite well. So it c- keeps it fresh, doesn't it? And yeah, it's, um, it's definitely paid off. And, and you said... Joe, you said that you did the stuff that the lyrics you wrote, Mark did the lyrics that he wrote. Is that kind of how it evolved through the whole project? Uh, no, just just on Joyride. That okay, was yeah. um, it was it was Mark's idea to write about the the sort of the gun violence and and that theme, and I just carried on with my I added my little um, the way sense? I see things. Yeah, yeah. my two cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But everything else uh, lyrically. Um, I sort of ha- handled yeah. them alone, not because I was taking over. It just kind of went that way. Didn't it? I just kind of got carried mm-hmm. away. Um, and it's weird as well, because I don't normally like writing lyrics. I'm not really a huge fan of writing lyrics, but this album was a breeze. It was great writing these lyrics. Nice. Oh, yeah. Lots of things um, to be annoyed by. So lots of things for me to write about. <laughs> <laughs> was, was that a general theme with this album? Sort of a, an airing of grievances or... I, yeah, pretty okay. much Th- things that get on me on my nerves. Yeah, things. That <laughs> yeah, I think up. as I think as we go through each song, I think it'll be interesting to kind of ask Joe what his lyrical ideas were. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about them. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're progressing into the the, the what, what we found to be the peak. So, track two, "Fool's Gold," is mm. actual gold to us. So, <laughs> 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 how did this unfold? Well, this, ironically enough, if you don't mind me jumping in here, Joe, uh, is was one of these things where we originally went in with the game plan of like writing each three songs or four songs each, working on them, and we're going back and forth. As we had done them and reproached the completion of these songs, we we wrote back to each other and said, "Do you think we should make a couple of more songs? Just maybe write a couple more, just see what happens." I mean, this is going so good. Why not just try to write? a few more songs and Joe was all for it and said, yeah, let's, let's, let's write a couple more. So I got onto it and I came up with the uh, opening part for fool's gold on guitar. And at first when I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is, this is really, really heavy and sort of catchy. I think that he'll like it. And so I uh, wrote the first three, three minutes of it, sent it over to him. And I think the message I got back from him was like, yes, this is like 
another like knock out of the park. We have to definitely work on this one. So I remember him being pretty excited about it. And how I know he was is that the music that I got back from never took very long at all to get back from him. (laughs) (laughs) Was that one of those times when you were at work, Joe, and you're like, I can't, I can't wait to get home. (laughs) Um, I I think it might have been. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that song just was, it was ace. That was just sat down and I was like, it was one sitting as well done. And then send it back to you. All done. (laughs) It was great. All the compositions are basically done leading up to or during quarantine. Is that correct to say? Yeah. And did that energy feed in to to some of the the emotion and some of the themes that that evolved? Lyrically, yes. I think Fool's Gold is perfect for this because this was... This was written right at the beginning of the whole quarantine thing, and it's sort of like voicing my anger at the people who were who were not taking it seriously and just just going about their normal ways. It's you know, I I, I couldn't have been clearer with those lyrics. Really, it was, it was big. <laughs> well, hence the line, "We won't do as we're told," right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, yeah. And then I got a bit nasty in the in the choruses, telling like put them all in a big pit <laughs> get, get <rid> of them. <laughs> but, but i but i gotta say though that that chorus is probably one of my favorite choruses that he did vocally and melodically I, I remember when i first got that back i was like like grinning ear to ear uh like i i just was so happy when i heard that chorus to how he sang it with those harmonies in there mm. i thought it was just so well done and i remember back when i was coming up with the music for this i had always remembered you know when i was going into a studio when i was younger when i was doing my stool my school co-op uh there was i worked with this record producer guy who was pretty well known in canada and uh he had worked with this band called frozen ghost here in canada for a long time yeah and he was a you know, he was a great guy and he taught me a lot. And one of the things he always used to drill into my head about songwriting. And whenever I would write a song, I sometimes imagined his little image of his little body sitting on my shoulder, going into my ear and saying, make the chorus simple. If you want him to, if you want him to sing something good, make the chorus simple. And I kept remembering that in my head and just, that's why I kind of kept the guitar playing, not, you know, overly taut like over the top like nothing like Ingve malmsteen ish or something you know something where you could actually sing a decent melody can you guys talk a little bit about the the solo break in fool's gold from the 90 seconds of from three minutes to four and a half minutes is probably my favorite section of this whole this whole part and i say that only having listened to it for a couple of weeks i'm sure that 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 could evolve over time but but uh, that can you talk a little bit about the the solo breakdown because it's it, to me it's different than than everything else I'm hearing uh, on this and and I love it I love it that uh, that middle section was I wrote that part so mm-hmm. the bit that goes everything from there yeah. onwards and then it goes into that seven eight break in the middle yeah um, so I I wrote all that section then it goes back into Mark's verses okay. and then um, Mark. Obviously, he composed all the guitar solos over the top yeah. of the section that I'd written. Yeah, don't even know where that came from. It, it just, <laughs> it it just just came to me, and I was like, right, writing that down quickly. It's 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 interesting though, Paul. Uh, just to let you know about that, when I first received it, I was like, 
wow, this is really one of those sections where I was like, well, this is incredible. I never would have thought about that sort of big symphonic orchestrated dun, 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 dun. Uh, So I was like, okay, I'm not going to play anything solo-wise over this because this definitely needs to be, you know, enhanced. So I just kind of just, you know, played my guitar with it, so to speak. But I'll tell you one thing, though. When we got to that 7-8 part, I was like, oh, shit, what's going on here? Because all of a sudden I realized there was no longer a straight 4-4 four, four sort of set, section in there. And I was like, <clears throat> how can I approach this? And then right away, I had a vision of Alex Lifeson. Ah. Me. <laughs> and I was like, oh. yes, this is the way I should approach it. So I left it, you know, I... I Left it a little bit more <clears throat> melodic, single note-ish, lots of long delay on the guitar. And I think it really fit because yeah. I wanted to keep the emphasis on his music, the 7-8 part. And I didn't want to stomp all over it with like a bunch of like garbage, you know. I wanted it to be something that actually enhanced it or helped it. And I think yeah. that that was the best way to go. Yeah, it uh, big payoff uh, on that. Well done, guys. That's that's really good. Yeah, thanks. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so so um, for you guys in the YouTube campaign, Mother Earth was re- revealed as the internal favorite. Still, still true. Still true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Track three. Here we go. Mother yeah. Earth. Okay. <clears throat> um, who 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 planted the seed? the initial riffs that got this going. Uh, I did. And it's funny because uh, the way it all started over here on my right side is a keyboard, uh, my Yamaha EX7. And uh, I was just sitting at it one evening, just fiddling around and I was going through it. I was like, hmm, there's some interesting settings here. And then I came across the Fender Rhodes piano Nice on there. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of neat. And I was like, what would happen if I started fiddling around with my effects units with it? Because I had watched a uh, gear kind of thing with Don Airy of Deep Purple. And uh, he was always talking about, uh, you know, oh, hell every, yeah. keyboard, every keyboard player needs a good flanger and this and that. Yeah. And then I stumbled across a rotary speaker setting. And as soon as that hit with that Fender Rhodes, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is the sound. You know what I mean? Well, homage to so, John Paul Jones as well. True? Yes. I mean, no chord. Yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. So I right away stumbled on those chords. And I heard those little harmonics in my head. So I composed that whole introduction like that. And, man, it was... It just immediately became one of those things where one part went to the next part to the next part without any real thought or effort in it. I was so so pleased with that because it, it, it was just such a natural right for me. And when I stopped it, I knew that from there Joe would finish it perfectly. Yeah, that was that was the that was the most fun I've had writing a song in a long time that. When I received that that file, I was like, "Oh God, this is good." And I, I knew, I knew, I knew straight away that was this was going to be the the epic of the album. And so, when I wrote I wrote my section in the middle I, again, I changed it to seven eight, and did that seven mm-hmm. eight section. Then I went into a five four section, and then I <laughs> reprised it back to 
Mark's verses and then I was going to do the chorus and then finish it. And then when I'd finished it, I was like, there's something missing. So then after the second chorus or second verse, I then planted that little, um, I wrote that at the very end because that wouldn't have been there if I had had you know left it the way it was. So I just thought I've got to add something else into it, and then that that came into it. And oh, it's such a good song. So so much happening in that song, and it and yet it's seamless, isn't it? Just yeah, definitely amazing. The one part of that song that really I enjoyed a lot, and especially doing it. But even more mixing it and listening to it afterwards was there's that part at the end where he does that say save me at the end there and it I he just sent it to me with just him doing the one part and I added the second and the third harmony to it almost like a queen thing right where they did yeah, that in awesome. there and when I heard that I was like this is definitely a strong part I was like so happy when that was done. And I literally had to go into like full, like, you know, Freddie Mercury, you know, sort of a falsetto voice for that because it was way out of my normal voice, that part. But you know what? I got to thank that producer guy back in the day. He told me the same thing. He goes, you have to do what you have to do to make it work. Mm. If that means singing falsetto, do it. Paul Stanley did it. Right. So there you go. Can we, yeah, go, can we talk? Can we jump in here a little bit about? Um, you know, uh, Mark, you started talking a little bit about the sound of the beginning of this. So I don't know if it was the seven, eight part, but I, but I felt like, uh, there was some, maybe perhaps some rush inspired guitarness going on in this, in this track in a like late stage rush, sort of like giant heavy, uh, distortion, um, or like earth shine is, is what is kind of, uh, coming to mind. But could you talk a little bit about like, like the guitars on on the record, how how you recorded this may not be the the right time to do it, but it's it's coming to mind. So can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the other sound uh, sound design features of uh, the Dark Monarchy? Well, for this record, it was pretty much Les Paul, like ninety percent of it, and you know that's again another late Alex Lifeson thing. He yeah. was heavy on the Les Paul. The sounds, as far as the amps go. Uh, lot of modeling on this album mainly because you know i thought that there were so many different vibes and feels in this that sticking with one amp sound i thought would have been a disservice to the music so i i chased a lot of different tones like for this song i kept it more like a jcm 800 marshall kind of sound nice but but I turned back the gain a lot. I didn't open it up as much. A lot of kind of delay and reverb on it. So that when I did those kind of arpeggiated chords in there, it would really ring out. You know what I mean? If you add too much distortion to something, it just turns into mush and you don't hear the notes. So I thought that was uh, really, really important in that. And I, I think Joe's bass guitar too really added a lot to this. I mean, you use that uh, Ernie Ball bass, isn't it? It's Yes, it's a, it's a Chinese copy of the Music Man Bongo 6. It's a six-string, but I, I had it all set up uh, recently uh, by a, a local uh, fella who he, he did what he worked wonders on it, and it, so 
it was like the first, this was the first thing really I've recorded with it since I had it all set up. So I think it, it sounds really nice and it's a dream to play now as well. Nice. Mm, yeah, absolutely. There's something very mystical about a British luthier. It sounds like the wizard that you go to to solve all your problems. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was he's based in Liverpool. Um, nice fella. I, I took the bass into him and he was, because at that point I didn't have a case for it because it's so big. I couldn't find a case that it would fit in. Um, and I, so I just took it in as is. Um, and he looked at me and he was like, first off, I cannot store that in my house with no case. He's like, because <laughs> he was under the impression that I'd, I'd spent thousands of pounds on this thing, but yeah. I, it, it, it came from China. So it, it didn't cost you know, anywhere near that much. So he was like, Oh, I feel a bit better now that now that you've told me it's not worth quite as much as I thought it was. So, yeah. So I left it with him and he, yeah, he worked wonders on it. It's awesome. So and did you find and, a case? No. So I'm, I'm <laughs> contemplating buying a keyboard case for it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can you sleep on the fretboard? I mean, <laughs> is it harder to play or is it is it uh how is that it is it's huge it is um ridiculous but it's i tune it like um like you would tune a guitar so i can get sort of okay. like three octave scales in one position things like or two okay. octave scales in one position i don't have to move as much around the neck so it's kind of Sorry. cheating but well behind paul there is a is is it a 12 string bass paul yeah, you have a twelve, a twelve string, and and the and the fretboard is is quite wide. I was going to say it can't be any wider than that thing, Paul. That is massive. Yeah. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. I'm a bit of a King's X uh, fan, so I I, yeah. uh, I was hunting for a twelve string bass for a while. So yeah, so I think that uh, that was really important as far as the guitars go. Um, one thing that I think that might be interesting to bring up too. Is uh Joe what you probably used for, or what you did use for the symphonic end of stuff? There's a, a software called Symphobia, um, by Project Sam. That's I used that for all of the strings and brass, um, sound irons, uh, requiem for the for the choirs. Joe, do you have a standard set of uh, like orchestration tools that you generally use, um, or or do you uh, or or you just have an extensive knowledge of the library that's, that's in front of you, or do you tinker around until you find just the right thing? I'm curious because uh, I, I, I'm not good at that type of stuff. I will say, oh, you know what I need on this? I need like uh, some, some sort of keyboard thing. And then for like three <laughs> hours, I'll be like clicking each instrument and going through and trying to find. So do you, how, how, do, how do you do that? Because it sounds like you're working at frantic paces here. Um, I don't have um, like anything set up like templates or anything, but I, I kind of have go-to patches, certain um, string patches that I use and brass that, that I know as, that's that I know sound good. <clears throat> but sometimes I've got um, you know sometimes there's ten ten lots of strings alone going on, and then there's loads of different brass sections. Um, I just compress the hell out of them to make it sound like it like it's one big thing <laughs> but yeah I, I tend to just uh, write parts separately and then piece them all together like that to make them sound so so big yeah and i think one thing that's important to make note of from a mixing perspective is when you have so much stuff going on in a song 
one thing that you should keep in mind is panning is your best friend because people have this tendency of thinking it's either and I, I think this is because Chris Lord Algae, who I respect as a producer mixer, has said this, and I always wanted to smack him upside the head when he says this. Ah, ah. Is that is it, he goes? It's it's stereo people. It's either you put pan it hard left and right, or you keep it in the center. I keep to myself. I keep thinking to myself, why would you say that? <laughs> why would you say it's either hard left right or center? I mean, you have all this other space between zero and a hundred and i always look at it that way i kind of close my eyes and say where would the brass orchestra sit yeah. here where would the violin people be here where would this be you know and where would i have joe and me sitting in that you know what i mean like that's how i kind of view the mix on this right especially when you had choirs as well and other things you know just to say i'm gonna put everything left and right you know how crowded that's going to be if you do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. It's, I, I just think Chris Algie needs to uh, reanalyze that thought. Yeah. Well, maybe that works for pop music. But uh, uh, Trivia here. <laughs> Friend of the Palaver, uh, Dave Kersner, we follow him mm -hmm. and, 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 and his projects. Um, he has taken over old studio spaces from the Algie brothers. So both uh, Tom Lord Algie and Chris Lord Algae, <laughs> you know, have had these spaces acoustically designed and Dave ha wants nothing to do with putting up bass traps and foam and everything like that. So he waits till they're done with the room and then he takes over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's, Chris, he's cool. I think Chris is, is just saying all of that stuff so that, uh, you know, people can't figure out how to fix their mixes and they have to buy his plugins. I think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Well, how about lyrically? So we're still discussing track three, Mother Earth, and uh, some pretty deep concepts here. Um, help us out, Mark. Actually, help us out, Joe. Yeah. So this was um, this was uh, about sort of the destruction of the planet. Um, I didn't I didn't want to just write about the destruction of the planet. So I thought it'd be a nice idea to to write it from the perspective of the planet, sort of like writing to the people on Earth and, you know, sh showing them what sort of damage they're doing. I thought it was, an, it was a nice idea. It was a different way of approaching that sort of subject anyway. So, yeah, it, it wrote itself pretty much that because, you know, it's, it's all too obvious what what's happening to the to the world so yeah yeah they're totally, i mean the one lines that kind of jumped out at me and I, i'm having a hard time recalling them at this moment but joe what's that line about the the roots and watering the leaves bit there um i'm i'm missing roots and you're watering the leaves yeah i thought um, that those kind of lines were like brilliant like that how people can overlook the most obvious things and thinking that you know while they've already damaged one part of it we can quickly fix it by doing something else, you know, like the cover up, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Mm. It's like that, that line as well. The, uh, I'm missing, I'm missing legs and you're polishing my toes. That's, that's gotta be one of my favorite lines. In that song. <laughs> <laughs> polishing toes. All right. So that's, that, that's the British way of saying manicure. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Actually, that would be a pedicure, Ken. But that's okay. Oh, sorry. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. 
<laughs> How diverse we are here on the Indeed. <laughs> but at least we know which members of the Palaver get pedicures. <laughs> nice. Along with the beard oil. <laughs> oh my. So is so is Mother Earth due for the uh, the treatment uh, that any of these? I, I know you've done uh, the lyric video for Fool's Gold, and you, uh, Bed of Posers. You have a video as well, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So so anything in the works for Mother Earth? I I, th- I think we decided to kind of leave it at the two because yeah. I thought if we if we were to do another video, that's pretty much half the album out there before it's out. You know what I mean? So I thought it would be better to maybe just leave it at those two and, you know, what people's appetites for what was to come still with just those two. And I think those were actually, you know, from the perspective of, you know, catchiness and effectiveness for what you can do with a lyric video. I think those were the best bets. I mean, sure, you can do a lot, obviously, with Mother Earth. But I thought because that's also probably the longest song on this record, I thought it might have been wise to not make that one the video. I think the two songs that we put out was just perfect at wetting people's appetites, and the way, the way they're placed on the albums as well. Sort of, sort of the nice balance between songs that people have already heard and songs that you know that are new to people as well. Fantastic, Broken Kingdom. So, th- so this seems to be the come down from Mother Earth, but but not a disappointment in the least. Uh, a lot of energy here. Talk about Broken Kingdom. Yeah, well, that that that's one of the ones that I really dug to with the whole drum and bass introduction. I thought that that's, you know, again, one of those things that I love, you know, about song. Some of my favorite songs start that way. And when I, you know, hit play and that whole drum beat with the bass guitar, so I was like, wow, this is really, really good. Another uh, thing that made me very happy when he sent it over. I, I thought that it had a good drive to it. And I think, again, this is one of those songs that definitely pushed me a little bit more guitar playing wise on here. Because, you know, sometimes it's just easy to just sit there and go, okay, I'm just going to womp some simple chords on top of this and be done with it. But I really wanted to just, you know, add some different things on top of it. Like, again, some played out chords, arpeggiated a little bit more, and, you know, and also uh, not be afraid also to double up on some stuff do some, you know, unison lines instead of harmonizing. You know, those are just some of the things that I wanted to make sure I I did on here. I wanted to always make it not the same as the last thing, you know, because people can have a tendency to say, okay, here comes the next part. He's going to harmonize here. Oh, no, he didn't there. He, he, He unisoned it. He didn't do a harmony. Or wait a minute, he just dropped out altogether. There's no, there's no guitar at all in the beginning here. You know, those are the kind of things I wanted to make sure I did on this record from the parts that you wrote as well it, it kind of you kind of can't can't tell that you've the parts that you've written next to mine when, when it goes from from the bit where it goes break us down till there's nothing left that's mark wrote all that section but it, it just it just work, works so well um and i think lyrically so, some of my best melodies are on this track as well i mean it starts off like that that original melody at the beginning i came up with that it was just it just popped into my head, so I recorded it on my phone, and then when I got home, I wrote something around it. But I needed a I needed a way of starting the song, and then that that I was fiddling around on the bass, and that doodle doodle doodle. I just thought that that sounds good <laughs> enough. And then Mark added those awesome, <laughs> awesome guitar chords. <laughs> this yeah, is the just, six string at its finest. This is yeah. the bass. 
Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask a question before I before I ask my real question. The main melody, sort of the main melody that comes through at the beginning. Who who was responsible for com- composing c- composing that? Okay, yeah, that Joe. Joe. Yeah. Okay, so good. I'm glad you said that because I'm I I wrote down in my notes. I'm like, is there some kind of like English folk kind of uh, uh, influence going on here? Which is terrible because once you know, you know, when, the more you know about or the more you think you know about somebody writing something, you start ascribing all of these things that may not have. But I, but I was kind of thinking it in like the, I was like, this could be an English folk. You know, I could picture people at a, at a pub, you know, just kind of singing along to this uh, melody. Is that, is that part of your, uh, your, your influences, Joe? Um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do like folk music, but I, I, <laughs> I don't think that's where it came from. I don't, I don't mean sure. it in a negative way at all. I don't know. No, no. um, I'm pretty sure it probably came from like um, power metal because I, okay, not so much now, but I, I listen to a lot of um, power metal, like, like folk metal as well back okay. in the day. So I think all of that side of things still, still influences the way I write now. So that's, that's where, it, that's probably where it came from. Sweet. Sweet. It, and it, it's a very, it's a very nice, uh, it's a very nice expansion of the, of the, the sound for, yeah. um, you know, through the yeah. album. It's great. Broken Kingdom uh, lyrically is about, um, it was written about Brexit, mainly, uh, leaving the EU and that whole farce that it was. And just my general anger at people's idiocy, <laughs> the way people approached the, the way it was tell approached us how from you really all feel. angles. <laughs> I, I will. I will tell you how I really feel. Yeah. <laughs> it does the head in. Well, I mean, if you there. can't get rid of Canada, how are you going to get rid of the EU? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's how I was, that's how I was feeling at that point. So that's, that's right. what I wrote down. You, you must have been in tune with, um, Marillion and other acts who were very vocal about Brexit in the way that it was going to put additional regulations and pressures on on artists. Um, but for you personally, you know what pushed you the wrong way about the campaign and the people who supported it. I think mainly people voting for something that they didn't know what they were voting for, misconceptions, uh, misinformation, and just um, it's I've, something that I've touched on before. Tabloids, people, you know the. Uh, newspapers lying to people and that that's the worst that gets right on my nerves so Mm. that interesting story i I saw the flower kings came to london a couple of years back anyway he said um this um this might be the last time you see us because all of you idiots voted for brexit (laughs) 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 you obviously don't want us to come here it was was very fitting at that time so that was (laughs) Because I'd hate for them not to be able to come here again. And, you know, it's not nice. It's not nice for people who, you know, people are making a living at, uh, out of touring different countries and people are voting for stuff that they don't know what they're voting for. So it's just frustrating. You know, in, in today's society, I think you're absolutely right. The way that people in general can really be manipulated without having any concept that they're being so. It's it's frightening, honestly. It is frightening, Yeah. And it's not yeah. getting any better. It's getting worse. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. As uh, yep. as as the U.S. gears up for a very exciting November. So shall we move on to uh, better posers then? Well, better posers. Uh, 
to be honest with you, is another one of those songs where when I heard it, I was pleased because of the one thing that came roaring out of the speakers was that beautiful Hammond organ. As soon as I heard that, I was like, yes. <laughs> I love John Lord. I love, you know, the whole Tony K early yes thing. Hammond organ, for me, I can never get enough of. And with my love of it, I'm surprised I don't have it more in my Project Gemini stuff. But, uh, you know, that, that'll change, I promise. Uh, but, you know, I, I just loved the tone that he found for that, too. I mean, it was so good. I, I, I was very happy with the way it sounded. And again, another example of not jumping in right away on the guitar and just letting that kind of sit there and, you know, present itself. But the, this, again, was one of those songs where I was extremely happy with the video that was made with it as well, because as you had mentioned earlier there, Ken, uh, it showed that imagery of the homeless guy watching the world go past him on the sidewalk there. And I thought that was a really strong image that I'm glad that Joe picked up on for the video. And I, I was always amazed with these songs that when they were done and I looked at how long they were, they never felt that long. None of them. Even right. Mother Earth, when I looked at it, I'm saying, holy shit, this is nine minutes long. <laughs> and it's, a, it's the longest nine. Well, it's the not. It's one of those songs that never felt that long. It's the shortest nine minutes I think I've ever heard on a song. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent with with exactly what you said. You know, again, as is my won't when I when I'm preparing for something like this, and specifically for this, I'll I'll load it up onto my phone and I'll listen as I take my my nightly walks. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, the the time literally just flies by, which is always you know a sign of something that's extraordinarily well put together. So I I agree, and it's it's interesting to hear you as the artist sort of you know confirm that feeling as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They all they're all seamless, aren't they? And it just flies by. Yeah. And I, I find myself listening to this album on a daily basis as well. <laughs> so you listen <laughs> so, you listen to this one yourself then? Yeah, I do, yeah. Because I'm not I'm not pleased with it. That's awesome. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that that's something that's very rare for musicians in general, I think, is uh listening to your own albums. I mean, this one as well is one of those ones I have to agree with Joe. I've listened to this record quite a bit, actually, and I have a copy of it in my car. And it's it's really uh, one of those situations where if I go on a car ride that's going to last like longer than forty minutes, I will put this on because I enjoy listening to it in its entirety. Uh, that's one thing I really enjoyed about it, and, I, and I'm glad that me and Joe, when we discussed this, we decided that we wanted to keep the record within that forty forty five minute structure because i'm a very 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 strong believer that making records over 55 minutes long eh, you're asking her trouble bands that make 70 minute records i i don't understand i mean really i mean unless they're like absolutely brilliant beginning to end you i, I find you you lose people after a certain amount of time yeah, I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And and you know we've talked about that on our podcast as well. Once once the CD age came and and bands were sort of let loose to to you know release whatever they wanted, and that wasn't always a good thing. Um, no, when you when you get into a situation where, like you said, you're you're taxing um, your audience to be able to keep up with you. I mean, if you have something 
that's you know super solid that's one thing but you know that's not always the case so and and there does i mean it quantity isn't everything right so if you have 45 minutes of super solid music that's much better than having 80 minutes of mediocre music in my opinion I'm guilty of I'm guilty of making really long albums as well. <laughs> All of my albums are about an hour long. I just can't help myself. Yeah, I'm just thinking well, about myself. <laughs> but you know what though? The, but the, but your but your records are a bit different though. I find because the other day, like I listened to a lot of his records too. Like he has a record called Nightingale that's out. That I really like that he did, and. Yeah, I don't find it though that it's that long. You know what I mean? There are bands that can do it. Like one of the longest albums that's out there that I love is a uh, Typo Negative, October yeah. Rust. I thought that I've I've always loved that record, and it's a very long album. But a band like that can get away with it. I think most bands had this idea that you know I'm I'm I have the CD age now in front of me. You know I can make a seventy-five minute album. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Here, Before here. we leave Bed of Posers completely, uh, Joe, do you take credit for the arpeggiated momentum throughout this? The, uh, I mean, it almost sounds like an arp sequencer or something. There's like a lot of momentum. It's very energetic. Yeah. In some of these um, places. Yeah. I use an um, arpeggiator. It's by a company called Tone 2, and it's called Nemesis. Uh, that's pretty much what I use on everything. Um, I'm a big, big fan of that arpeggiated sound. Yeah, so that's that's me. Yeah, nice work. We're rounding out the album, uh, going from track five to track six, "Hide and Seek," the ballad. Ballad is an interesting word. People, when they hear it, they have different interpretations of what it is. And uh, one of the things I was hoping people wouldn't think is like. You know, some guy sitting cross-legged in a grassy field singing to some girl, baby, I love you. You know, like I just, you know, that is not what we had in mind when we wrote a ballad type of song. For us, a ballad is kind of like how a dream theater ballad would be, you know, mm. kind of epic in structure, slower, a lot more piano, you know, a little less guitar. And uh, I think that kind of describes this song. I mean, I had... Turned on my keyboard again. I had stumbled upon my grand piano setting and kind of just started noodling on it and came up with that melody right off the top. When I first heard it, the, my first reaction was, eh, is it too commercially? Is it too, you know, is it too off the path that we're on? But I said, you know what? I have a good feeling that when Joe hears it, he can do something with it that'll really connected to the rest of the record and my thoughts and my feelings were correct because when i sent it to him and he sent me back his additions to it it it, it was just perfect i it's one of my favorite songs i think it's my number two actually on this record i i really like the melodies on this i love the lyrics that he came up with the, on this and what i also thought was absolutely stunning for me having mixed this record top to bottom was how little orchestration was on here compared to other songs but how big the parts that were on there were this was the last the last song we wrote together wasn't it yeah it was, it was sort of like a last minute thing 
he sent you like I've got one more one more song to send you something else <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and and it was it was nice it was it was completely different to anything else you'd sent me so it was it was a nice change something different to get my teeth into and 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 it sort of I knew what need, what I needed to do I didn't need to go overboard with the orchestration I didn't need to go overboard with anything and you know I needed to write lyrics that were kind of emotional because I think that I think the music needed that and again it's lyrically you know every, everyone's feeling emotional at the moment I think so it was quite easy to write you know about the situation that's going on at the moment was this one of those uh, endings that uh because uh, I I really like how the ending just kind of trails off into the the like the piano and begins with the piano and then kind of ends with the the piano melody Mark, you mentioned you were like, oh, Joe, I needed a quick ending here. And like, you know, was this one of those examples or did this just come out of the regular process? Uh, that was, I, I actually came up with that ending during okay. the writing process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really, it not only does it bookend the, the song really well, but it's a, it really punctuates the end of, of the whole album. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I have to agree. I mean, that's one thing that I really enjoyed about it was, it, I think it was a fantastic way to end the album and it kind of left people or at least for me when I listened to the whole record and I came to that part at the end, I kind of had like this kind of like, ah, at the end when it was kind of done, like cause it was such a, such a ride to go through listening to the record. I thought, and it ended in a nice kind of peaceful way. And, uh, you know, it made me think, First thing was, I wonder what's next. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good ending because, especially when you think of the beginning of the album, it's it's like bang in, in there, yeah. really aggressive, and then that really nice calming ending to it sort of like takes you on a journey, physically as well as as well as mentally. And it's well, like it, oh. it's it's nice of you to sort of you know deposit everyone on a soft landing as you uh, are going out. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Mark, your your comment there is is provocative, uh, you know. So what is next? I mean, is this something where you guys? It seems that you enjoyed this enough that you know. Is this a, you know sort of collaboration you guys plan to continue and while also maintaining your individual musical identities in parallel, or have you not thought that far ahead at this point? Well, I think it's safe to say, and I'll let Joe you know say his piece too but i think it's safe to say that we plan on continuing doing this i think it was just something that went so well that it would be almost Ill highly illogical if we didn't continue down this pa path you know uh because we i think we have a lot more to say as a writing group together uh i think joe said something to me that really made me happy when he said it is he goes this turned out so good the next one will be even better. And as soon as he said that to me, I, I was like, wow, I, I'm so happy he thinks that way because I thought the same thing. And I, I'm fully going to continue doing my Project Gemini stuff. I don't see it being a hindrance to it at all, either way. You know what I mean? I think they just, you know, are different things that satisfy different writing needs, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm working on the next Project Gemini stuff, and I'll let Joe talk about what he's doing. Yeah, so I think now that we've got the dark monarchy down, we're like a we're like a well oiled oil machine now, aren't we? It seems I like think, 
it, because because of how with every song that we did it, it got easier it got um more productive i think that we've got we've got it all down to a t now so the next album will be be even more of a breeze i think and it, i think it will be better i think because we we kind of know each other a bit better now uh, from a writing perspective as well as you know as friends as well so i think um i think there'll be a lot more cohesiveness on the on the next album as far as me um i have got i'm in the process of writing a new album at the moment it's musically it's it's done i've just got to do the lyrics and then record it uh, yeah so outstanding it's all, go- all good things how are people going to be able to obtain then the dark monarchy um you know presumably we can get this out shortly before the release but <clears> even <throat> after the release you know what are what are the options that people have available and where they're going to get it well um as far as uh, the easiest and quickest way will be Bandcamp. Uh, we are obviously doing a digital release of it. Uh, we are going to do CDs. That is a certainty. Uh, right now, as we speak, uh, our good friend Steve is working on the booklet for the Digipack and stuff like that for cool. it. Uh, so there will be a CD release of it, and we will be doing a pre-order campaign for it sooner than later. And... Uh, the thing with vinyl, you know how I love vinyl, and I know for Joe, it would be probably a dream come true to have a release of his on vinyl. So I'd really yeah. love to be able to do that as well. But again, that boils down to the support end of things. Obviously, you know, I'm one of these guys who, you know, likes calling on the supporters for assistance, and it's always worked for me. So I'm keeping fingers crossed that. If I present a vinyl opportunity for Dark Monarchy, that maybe the people will step up and we can do it. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. And um, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, then the release date is scheduled for June 12. So, you know, um, for those of you who listen to this before that date, mark that date on your calendar. Uh, make sure you go out and get the Dark Monarchy. And then... Um, you know, if you're listening after June 12th, then you can immediately go and mm-hmm. uh, and get the material that you need. So that's June awesome. 12th, June 12th, I believe, is a Friday. Is Correct. There a, is there a significance to releasing uh, a record on, on Friday versus uh, – I know that the industry, I don't know if it still does, used to release everything on Tuesdays. Any, any relevance to uh, June 12th <laughs> on being a Friday? Yes, there actually is. Um, we mentioned earlier that our good friend, Mr. DJ uh, Peter Prague, who has his shows on Friday, has offered for the first time ever on his show to have our album as Album of the Week, but to play it in its entirety. He has never done that before, played an album in its entirety. So he's, he's technically like advertising it as a CD release party. Awesome. sort of deal sweet on his show so we're the first band to have that happen so we, we you know since he's been such a strong supporter of both of our stuff before we even got together we wanted to give him that opportunity to be the first one to play it in full on the air for us cool that is great nice. i love it that's gonna be so fun now <laughs> joe kind of yeah. lights up at the idea <laughs> <laughs> That is great. Anything else from the Palaver side for these two gentlemen? 
No, thank you guys. This is great. Absolutely. Thank you. And Mark and Joe, any closing thoughts from you on, you know, this project or anything that you would like to, to share at this point? Just that I I hope everyone enjoys this album as much as, as much as we do. You know, we've had a lot of fun making it. It's been, it's been a, Real, real good time, hasn't it? Making yeah. this album. It's been not not one part of this album. I thought, God, this is getting on my nerves now. But it's it's all been perfect. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I hope people enjoy it as much as you know get the enjoyment out of it as much as we did. Yeah, I I agree. I think that uh, there's more to come, and I hope people uh, enjoy the record. You know, check it out when it comes out. You know, there will be CDs as I mentioned before. And, uh, you know, again, it's also people like you guys who have these fantastic shows that help us get the word out there. So we're very grateful, me and Joe, for having been invited to do this. So, again, thank you very much, guys, because it means a lot to us as independent artists. You know, if we don't have these kind of mediums to go on to to do stuff, then it's, you know, it's a bit more of an uphill climb for sure. And, and thanks guys yeah you know you are certainly welcome um you know we're happy to have you on the show anytime you guys have been utterly fantastic and you know for you know a podcast that spends most of our time talking about you know albums that are 30 or 40 years old to not only talk about something that's current but that hasn't even released yet it's like a total <laughs> blessing so <laughs> it's the total opposite end of the spectrum so so yeah. we appreciate your your time as well in in uh you know sharing this with us and our listeners yeah thanks guys we just started to trade files amongst ourselves here at the palaver and this energy during quarantine with with the collaboration is inspiring to me personally so thank you for my creative heart you're You're welcome welcome. i think that will close out this interview again thank you for for mark and joe for joining us we encourage all of our listeners to you know get your hands on this release absolutely as soon as you can and we look forward to talking to both of you gentlemen again in the future as you know more projects come out from both of you so look forward to what you guys have and can't wait to see what it is thank you thank you thank you this special episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us at progpala on twitter instagram and facebook or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple podcast google podcast spotify at some point pandora or presumably wherever you find your podcast we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time Thanks for listening.